And welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And I am thrilled. You have a very special guest for us today, Brian Adams. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled. And well, Brian Adams, we should note, former Greenfield Community College professor of environmental science, now Professor Emeritus, who is with us on a regular basis to promote the sciences and to tell us what is happening in our environment here in the Valley today. Brian. That's one thing that's sustainable, which is Brian Adams' appearance on Talk to Talk. Oh, well, thank you. That's the, yeah, sustainable. There we go. Um, so fortunate today to have a guest to talk about the recent COP conference in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. Every year, the United Nations gets together with some of the best and brightest and some of the not so best and brightest in this case uh, <laughs> to talk about climate change, to deal with climate change. This last year, the conference was in the oil-producing country of the United Arab Emirates, hosted by oil-producing folks. So uh, interesting thing there. Um, we have our guest today, Ross Vernon-Jones. He is on the Steering Committee Climate Action Now, former elementary school teacher and principal at Fort River School in Amherst, Gazette columnist, blogger, anti-racism tra uh, anti trainer, uh, and a real good person to talk about this cop conference um, Russ, it's the new year. I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this, but <laughs> hope. I want some hope. Please give us some hope. Tell us about this this COP conference, maybe what it didn't accomplish, what it did accomplish, and maybe some glimmer of hope out there in the climate change world. Well, Brian, we all need some hope, that's for sure. Um, thanks for having me on. It's it's great to see you and to, to be here on the show. Um I promise our listeners that before we'll, we are done, I will say some encouraging, hopeful things. But I think we need to start with, uh, you know, being honest about the bad news. You know, this conference failed completely to do what, what humanity needed. You know, what we needed were ambitious and forcible commitments to reduce emissions, to reduce the use of fossil fuels, firm commitments to cut back on the extraction of fossil fuels and end any new exploration for oil and gas. We really needed a decision that the wealthy nations of the world were going to do their share um, and implement a just and equitable tran global transition to sustainable economies uh, instead of lagging behind. You know, at this point, the poor nations are doing more of their share than the wealthy ones are. And what we really needed were enforceable commitments for enough grants, not loans, but grants from the nations who have become wealthy, burning fossil fuels, to enable the poor nations to leave their fossil fuels in the ground, to build renewable energy, adopt to climate change, uh, and pay for the loss and damage that climate change is causing. And if they'd made those agreements, we'd be well on our way to really grappling with this crisis that we're facing. Um, I mean, we also need agreements on preserving and expanding forests, regenerative agriculture, biodiversity. But the ones I listed would be crucial ones to, to start with. But in, we didn't get that. Why? Why? You know, it, it just seems like the, it's so apparent that we are in this chaos. You look at this last summer with incredible... Um, rain that we had in, in the valley and then, you know, the, the, the forest fires um, throughout the world that 2023 is going to be the hottest year on record. 
I think. I mean, it just the, the, the evidence is so overwhelming that we have to do something. Here we have yet another United Nations conference failing. Why? Why is this, this happening? Well, I think you're exactly right, Brian, about the, the situation. Um, and the reason, frankly, is the fossil fuel industry and the petrostates. They still have tremendous power, uh, economic power and political power, um, not just in their own nations, but globally and certainly within the COPs. You know, this COP was held in an oil-producing state led by, as you said, the head of their oil company. And there were 2,400 representatives or delegates from the fossil fuel industry and the petrostates uh, as part of the conference. 2,400 at, at the conference on climate 2,400 people there working full-time to make sure that they and their uh, masters could keep making money uh, off of fossil fuels. Uh, and it really is the fossil fuel industry and their financial interests and political power uh, that are keeping the whole world from doing what we need to do at this point. This is Dan. I, can you t discuss, I think, uh, the role of China and India as well, right? Uh, from everything I read about them, those governments and those countries don't necessarily want to transition given the cost, although China is already making some big investments. Can you talk about their roles? Well, China is actually transitioning much faster than the United States is. Uh, they are the biggest emitter of uh, greenhouse gases still, but they are installing solar power in particular uh, at a rate that's equal to the rest of the world combined. Uh, and China, the latest predictions are that emissions will begin to go down next year in China because their rate of installing renewable energy is about to exceed the increase in demand uh, for energy. Isn't China, can I interrupt, isn't China uh, building many new coal-fired plants? China is still adding coal plants, yes. And it would be much better if they weren't. Um, but they have announced that they will no longer fund overseas coal plants. And if we were installing renewable energy at anywhere near the rate they are, uh, things would be much better. Now, China and India also played a negative role in this conference in one way um, that I'll, I'll mention later on when we get to the details about the conference. Um, but I think the United States is... You know, the United States at this point is the world's greatest exporter of both oil and so-called natural gas, which is really methane fossil gas. Um, so, yes, we could wish that other nations would do more, but our per capita emissions are greater than any nation in the world, any major nation. Uh, and our production of oil and gas is the greatest in the world. So... I still think the United States is a bigger limiting factor at this point than China and India. Russ, it's really interesting. When this, when COP was originally, uh, the first one was 28 years ago. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. COP 28. 
And it was called COP because it's a conference of the parties. And the big discussion at the UN level was we have to involve everyone who's involved with the delivery of energy. Um, and thus, guess who went, went to the top? The people with the most money went to the top. Those are the fossil fuel companies that benefit from it. I don't know. What should we be doing as an alternative to this failed experiment of trying to gather world leaders. I think there were 38,000 in attendance last year at COP. Um, what's the alternative? Well, the other thing, it's not just that everybody comes, but they developed a mechanism of proceeding that requires every nation to agree before they can issue a statement from the cops. Now, that's a that's a pretty oh, high bar. It's a really high bar. You're getting consensus bar. on anything, exactly. let alone uh, transition out of fossil fuels. Exactly. But we need, you know, the, the COP has the illusion that it legislates some sort of global policy, but it really doesn't. You know, it gives you the low bar consensus. Um, but it was a big deal when the COP finally said early on, COP said, global warming is happening. And, you know, that didn't immediately convince everybody, but it changed the global dialogue about what's going on. Similarly, when we got to Paris in 2015, they were about to settle on two degrees centigrade increase in global warming as the acceptable limit and the small island nations and some of the other poor nations rose up and said, absolutely not. That would be our death warrant. We need 1.5. And at the last minute in 2015, they put in and tried to keep global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade. And that became a pivotal moment. The activists and politicians who were uh, in favor of reasonable climate policy, and scientists were able to grab onto that and make 1.5 the target. And they signed the Paris Agreement. And so, Which how are we a, doing under the Paris Agreement? But that was a that was a glimmer of success and hope. There, we're talking with Russ Vernon Jones about the COP conference, Council of Parties, the 28th such conference that happened this last November, right? Into early December, early December yeah, uh, in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, it's a it's a United Nations conference that happens every year, focused on climate change and climate change solutions. Um, Russ is on the steering committee for climate action now. Um, so, Russ, remember the hope the hope's going to come <laughs> in here. All we've been doing is saying, "Oh my golly." Um, can you, uh, before break, at least begin that transition into hope for us? Well, let me say a little bit about what we did get out of the COP. Good. This last Good. one. We got the establishment uh, operationalizing the loss and damage fund. We got a call for tripling global renewables and doubling the annual rate of energy efficiency improvements by 2030. And finally, after 20 eight years, we got a call to transition away from fossil fuels. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's taken us 28 years for this conference to recognize the writing on the wall and call for a transition away from fossil fuels? That, 
That just happened this year? It's worse than that. The term fossil fuels, those words have not appeared in a COP agreement oh my God. until this year. Oh, my God. So that's good news? Well, each of these is in the right direction. There are some difficulties with each of them. Uh, but I will get to how we can take advantage of the situation we're in. Okay, that's so listeners, really... listeners, do not, don't touch that dial. <laughs> we're going to get to hope it's because there's just such a gloom and doom about this climate change thing is just this cloud that descends upon me and so many of us um, of just throwing up our hands and saying, why, why can't we, you know, just, it, it seems so apparent what needs to be done. And we will get to that. Uh, we're talking with Russ Vernon Jones, Steering Committee Climate Action Now. We're going to take a break, and during the break, we're going to give oxygen to Brian Adams. We'll be right back. <laughs> Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. Okay, we have administered oxygen to Brian Adams. <laughs> and now we can talk about, well, what's hopeful in the arena of climate? There's got to be hope out there because otherwise there will be no oxygen in the room, <laughs> just carbon dioxide. <laughs> from all those fossil fuel-emitting plants. We're talking with Russ Vernon Jones. He's on the Steering Committee Climate Action Now, and he's uh, uh, helping us try to dissect some of the good, bad, and ugly from this last year's COP Council of Parties uh, conference that the United Nations does every year, and this happened in December of this last year. Russ, can you can we transition into good news? <laughs> I want good news, please. <laughs> Well, after 28 years of not even being willing to mention fossil fuels, the fact that we got a statement in this year's agreement calling for transitioning away from fossil fuels in energy systems in a just, orderly, and equitable manner, accelerating action in this critical decade to as a, so as to achieve net zero by 2050 in keeping with the science. Now, it's a big deal that the global climate movement and the people who support climate action have gotten enough strength. 130 nations at the COP really wanted a complete phase-out of fossil fuels. Well, they couldn't convince the petrostates of that, but they had enough strength that the petrostates who wanted no mention of fossil fuels and a focus only on changing emissions and not on actually changing the fuels, um, did not succeed in completely dominating the conference. Are we one of those petro states? Did we, how, how did we do, we being the United States? You mean at, at the COP? Yeah. The U.S. played a really mixed role. For instance, when the loss and damage fund was voted in, uh, United Arab Emirates immediately pledged $100 million. Now, $400 billion is the best estimate of what's needed in loss and damage. UAE pledged $100 million. 
the uh, Germany pledged 100 million. The U.S., the richest nation in the world, pledged 17.5 million. Oh my God! Seven. I mean, that's uh, it's just such a drop in the not even a drop in the bucket. Yeah. And part of the reason for the dysfunction in the COP, you know, nothing adopted at the COP is is enforceable. And some of that is because the entire world is aware that the U.S. could not get any treaty through Congress. And that's been true for a while. So they've avoided the enforceable treaty mechanism. Knowing so that many, it would fail in the Knowing that it would fail in the U.S. So the U.S. is a limiting factor uh, there. Just so people know, in order for it to be a real treaty under the Constitution, the Senate has to be a two-thirds supermajority in order for it to be a real treaty as opposed to an agreement which can be eliminated by the next administration, which we saw Trump do with respect to the Paris Agreement and right. other. Pull, pull yeah. right out. Yeah. 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 But in terms of the U.S.'s role at the conference, on the one hand, our climate envoy, John Kerry, spent a lot of the conference talking about unabated fossil fuels. We were going to get rid of a fa fossil fuels that weren't abated. What does abated mean? It means the industry is succeeding in trying to confuse everyone, frankly. There's a concept called greenwashing. Could you explain that, please, uh, well, Russ? Well, greenwashing is a way of uh, businesses and industries and, or even politicians appearing to be green while not actually supporting green policies. So the advertisements so even, and the yeah, like. I mean, even, even Eversource, for instance, our local electric company, is committed to being carbon-free in their operations by 2050. The key phrase is, in their operations. This is not in their production of electricity. This is not in their use of fossil fuels overall. It's just they're going to have buildings with their own, their own buildings. will have some solar panels, and maybe they'll buy electric vehicles. And I guess for us, Vernon Jones, we're, we're, we're supposed to be talking about hopeful things, but... There's a part of me that just thinks that the entire UN, the, the COP concept is a bit of greenwashing. It's, it's to make us think something is going on that's seriously going to impact on climate that really doesn't. What do you think? I think that's certainly true. Uh, on the other hand, it would be a mistake not to get the countries together to talk about these things because it is a place where... Well, as Bill McKibben says, the cop is not really the game. It's not where the action happens. The cop is the scorecard. And as we strengthen the movement and build more political pressure in more nations, things at the cop begin to progress. Uh, and I think that's an excellent emphasis. You know, the real game is what happens between the cops. The cops just sort of indicate how far we've gotten. Well, this is Dan. I want to mention that Massachusetts has some good news from Vineyard Wind Project, which will produce 800 megawatts of energy. It's the first large-scale offshore wind project, I think, in the United States. So right here in Massachusetts, we're producing energy off the coast. And it does seem like offshore wind is going to be a huge player in, uh, in, in the climate change uh, game. And where better to put offshore wind than off the New England coast. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think Dan is exactly right. This is really big news. It's a great thing. And 
Massachusetts is playing a leading role uh, in moving toward uh, good energy policies and a truly renewable economy. The U.S. in general is making real progress, especially since the Inflation Reduction Act, in adopting more renewable energy. Uh, what we are not doing is reducing our drilling and exporting of oil and gas. And this is really the where it's, we're going to see whether this agreement at the COP means anything or not. Because the U.S. signed on to transitioning away from fossil fuels. The U.S. as the largest exporter has seven huge LNG terminals, export L terminals. LNG is liquefied, LNG is natural, liquefied gas. natural gas, so it's actually, as I said, methane fossil gas. Um, we've got these huge terminals down in the Gulf, and the industry is proposing to build 17 more huge terminals. Well, we're already exporting more than anybody in the world. And... Our increase in exports of oil and gas are so large that they basically have canceled out all of the gains we've made uh, in reducing fossil fuels uh, in our own domestic um, networks. So, Brian Adams, uh, Russ Vernon Jones is on the steering committee of Climate Action Now. Before we go, what is Climate Action Now and how do people get involved? Russ, can you help us with that? Climate Action Now is the local coalition of climate groups uh, grassroots group, um, all volunteer, and we have monthly meetings where you can learn more about climate action. We have working groups that are comment and lobby on legislation and uh, help organize uh, protests and local actions. We're currently part of a, a bigger campaign to, quote, put gas in the past uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, and we invite everybody, uh, if you Google yes. Climate Action Now Western Mass, uh, you can uh, get on board with our uh, uh, newsletter and learn a lot about what, what's going on. Sounds like the perfect bumper sticker for electric cars. Yes. <laughs> with gas in the past. Uh, Russ Vernon-Jones, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate your insights. Can you leave us with one hopeful glimpse here for the new year about climate. Well, access. there is a real possibility that we can stop this expansion of export terminals of LNG. Over 300,000 people have signed a petition to the president. 230 organizations have written. 60-some members of Congress uh, have, have written to President Biden saying, and Biden's got the power here not to issue permits for them to continue. And if you want to join that petition, you can Google Action Network and then the letters C, P, and the number 2. CP2 is the big terminal awaiting a permit. Uh, and if Biden would turn down that permit, it would be a huge step forward. And everybody can be a part of this uh, by signing that petition. And if you want to be more a part, uh, check out Climate Action Now online and come join us um, for some of our meetings. It's a local alternative to the Keystone Cop 28. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Russ Vernon-Jones, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for what Climate Action Now does and can do. Everybody, check out Climate Action Now. Brian Adams, you are a gem. Thank you once again. Thank you. And, yeah, check out the Climate Action Now because all of us need to be involved. We need to be thinking 
globally acting lo locally and really all of us is, are, need to be involved to help solve the climate crisis. All of us. And by the way, if you go to WHMP, there is an events tab at the top. If you have an event, if you have a demonstration, if you have a petition that wants to be signed, check out our events tab. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.